Well, good morning, everyone. And we've been journeying through this name, Emmanuel. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Leonor focused on God, uh, talking about how God wants to know us and how God is the supreme being, but yet he wants to know uh, us intimately. Last week, Pastor Justin talked about with and that even in the valleys and in the difficult times that God is with us. Uh, and today I want to focus on the word us. So the word Emmanuel means God with us. And so today, let's talk a little bit about us. And as Keisha read in the scriptures for us, we're looking at John chapter 1. And in those first few ver verses, talks about how Jesus, as the word of God, came and was born as a baby, as we sang as well today. So I'm going to give you a couple of theological terms as well, uh, so that we can understand what this actually means for God to be with us and understand our role in this as well. Uh, and the, the word that I'm going to focus on this morning is called incarnation. Anyone here, you know the word incarnation? Okay, some people putting your hands up, you're a little bit afraid that Daniel's going to ask you what does incarnation <laughs> actually mean, right? Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, points regarding the incarnation. The first thing about incarnation is this, that the incarnation transforms our understanding of God. The incarnation transforms our understanding of God. If you think you know what God is or who God is or how he operates, the incarnation will totally turn that upside down. Okay? So let me tell you, what is, what is the incarnation? Let me give you a couple of theological terms. So the incarnation is the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form, okay? Embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. This is just a general definition of, of incarnation. And it's amazing and wonderful to see how God became man in Christ Jesus. Jesus came as a baby. This is the story of Christmas, now, there's two other terms that I want, want you to know, and one is called transcendence, and the other is called imminence, okay? And they both are descriptions of who God is. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is that in Jesus Christ, you can find the transcendence of God, and you can find the imminence of God. And I know you're all excited and wondering, that's amazing, Daniel, but what's transcendence and what's imminence, right? So here it is. The transcendence of God is that God is highly exalted, supremely rules over creation, and he exists beyond us. God is this amazing and wonderful being that is far beyond us, that is far greater than us, that exists beyond our time and space and realm, and he is way superior to us. And we see that in John chapter 1 in the first four verses that talk about how the word became flesh. In the beginning, the word already existed. So all the way to the beginning of creation, the, world existed, the, the word, meaning Jesus, the word of God existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So you see this transcendent aspect of God, that the word of God was, with, was there with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. This is the transcendence of God, that God spoke a word and all of creation came into being. We won't take time to read the verses in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but that's what happened at the beginning, that through the word of God, through that word that was spoken, everything was created. This is the transcendence of God. Have you ever tried that before? Let's try it. Milkshake. <laughs> no, because Daniel is not transcendent. I can't do what God can do. 
He is far beyond us, right? The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. This is the transcendence of God. But here's another thing. Here's the imminence of God. The imminence of God is this, that God is present in the lives of people desiring to reveal himself personally and intimately. This is a polar opposite of transcendence. Transcendence is on one side of the scale. Imminence is on the other side of the scale. But the beauty of Christianity and the beauty of Jesus Christ is that both of these things are held in tension so amazingly and wonderfully in the incarnation. Because in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The imminence of God is that God decided to say, I'm going to leave my, my glory in heaven and I'm going to come down to this world so that I can know you. See, there's a lot of major world religions that either have a, a high value for transcendence and a low value for imminence or have a high value for imminence and a low value for transcendence. For example, Judaism or Islam, they have a high value for transcendence, that God is, is far above all of us. He's this amazing creator God, and he's far above us, and he's, he, he has so much power and authority, and he lives up there in heaven. And they have a high value for transcendence and a very low value for imminence. It's like, can you really know God, though? Can you have a personal relationship with him? Can you be there with him? Low value of, uh, of imminence. There's other Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies as well, mysticism, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, a lot of the, the, the Eastern religions where there's a, 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 low, a low value for transcendence and a high value for imminence because God is all around us. God is around us. There are idols that you can make and you can worship. God is all around us. God is in you. You are God. A very high value for imminence, low value for transcendence. The beauty of Jesus the beauty of the Christmas story, the beauty of what Jesus has done is that in him is transcendence and imminence. When he taught us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father, imminence, right? That we can know God. Who art in? Heaven, transcendence, right? And sometimes people might think, especially some Eastern religions, Eastern philosophies, oh, you can know God, that seems like very low. What about Daniel as a pastor? If you saw Daniel at home playing with Joel on all fours, rolling around with him, what would you think? Normally, if you, if you saw me just as your pastor, you would think, why is my pastor acting like that on the ground? But if you saw me and valued the fact that I'm a father, then what would you say? Oh, look at how he plays with his child. Our father, knowing the value that he wants us to have a personal relationship with him, who art in heaven, imminence. There's a time when Jesus was here in this world, and he was with the disciples, and he had sent them on ahead in a boat. And when they were in this boat, there was a big storm that was happening, and a storm and winds and waves. And Jesus, in his transcendence, went to meet the disciples. Do you know how? walking on the water. The transcendence of Jesus, he walked on the water to meet his disciples. When Peter in the boat saw Jesus walking on the water, Peter said, well, Jesus, if that's really you, call me to come out. And Jesus says, what does Jesus tell Peter? 
Come, come to me, Peter. The imminence of God, Peter, I want you. I want you to experience my power. I want you to experience me. Come to me, Peter. Can you see the tension that's there? The, the transcendence of Jesus that he was able to walk on the water, the imminence of Jesus in calling Peter to himself. Peter, I want you to be with me. There was another time when Jesus was with the disciples in, in a boat and they were going from, they, they had an amazing ministry that was happening in one place and they were very tired and they got on the boat uh, in the evening and they were going to the other side of the shore and the winds and the waves were bustling and everything and Jesus, he was tired so he was sleeping in the boat. But the disciples, they were scared and they thought that they were going to perish. And so they woke up Jesus and said, Jesus, look what's happening. And Jesus with one word, he just said, peace be still. And what happened to the winds and the waves? Became calm. The transcendence of Jesus was seen there. That he spoke a word. He spoke to creation and creation obeyed him. Have you ever tried that? Probably doesn't work, right? Why? We're not transcendent. But Jesus is. And he spoke a word and, and there was calm. But the imminence of Jesus was where they were going. They went to the other side of the shore to a place that wasn't part of the Jewish homeland. They went to a place to meet not 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, but they went to meet one person. There was a man who was possessed with many, many demons. And Jesus went all the way over there, and he met that man, and he set him free. That man experienced liberty and freedom because of Jesus. And after that happened, they got on the boat and went back to where they, were, where they came from. They made that whole trip, not for 10 people, not for 100 people, not for 1,000 people. Our vision here is to touch our world through Jesus, one life at a time, one hamper at a time, one person at a time. And Jesus made that journey because of the imminence of Jesus, because of the desire for Jesus to connect with people personally. He made that whole trip just for that one person. He showed off his, his, his transcendence. The disciples were, uh, were amazed. Another time when Jesus, one of his friends, had passed away, his name was Lazarus. And Jesus went to see Lazarus and his family and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were so sad that their brother Lazarus had passed away. And when Jesus got there on the scene, they said, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened to our brother. But as Jesus made his way, into the tomb, made his way to the tomb, as he was going there, do you know what he did? He wept. The imminence of God. To know people personally, to feel their pain, to feel their hurt, to feel and know their suffering, the imminence of God. And after he wept, the transcendence of God to call Lazarus forth from the grave. The transcendence of God shown in Jesus that he has power over death, that he has power over life, and he called Lazarus to himself. Number two, the, the incarnation gives meaning to suffering. When we talk, talk about God with us, when we talk about us as, as people, one thing, that the, the question that we have to answer, even as we, we think about other um, faith systems and, and what's really the truth, the thing we have to answer is the meaning of, of suffering. 
And when you think about Jesus and the incarnation, it gives meaning to our suffering. Not that we have all the answers. I think in the marketplace of ideas, Christianity has the best answer for suffering. Christianity has the best answer for why we go through suffering. It's not that we have all the answers, by no means. But there is some answer. In in, in the book of Psalms, it says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Emmanuel, God with us. Can I just replace God is close with Emmanuel? Emmanuel is close to the brokenhearted. God is with those that are brokenhearted. He rescues those that that their spirits are crushed. Friends, as we know and understand Jesus as Emmanuel, as we know and understand the incarnation, we might not have all the answers of why did God allow me to go through this suffering, through this pain, through this sickness, through this difficulty. We might not understand all of that, but what we do understand is that God stepped down from his throne in heaven, that God left his glory in eternity and decided to come down to be with us. That's what Jesus did. He knows that we are going through suffering. He knows that we're going through pain. He knows that we're going through difficulty. And he doesn't just stay up in heaven and say, well, you go through it, and then at the end, come and join me. He says, no, I'm going to come and suffer with you. One of my favorite Timothy Keller quotes is this. Christianity, Timothy Keller, who he passed away recently, uh, a well-known theologian and pastor said this. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. And contra, but contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into a more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. See, see in this we understand suffering is what? Suffering is overwhelming. Suffering is real. Suffering is unfair. And suffering is meaningful. And and, and in the Christian worldview and in the Christian framework, we understand that even though all of these things are happening and even though we can't maybe figure them all out and understand all of them, there is meaning to suffering because Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us. Because of the incarnation, God said, I'm going to come and suffer with my people. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, we read, this is the chapter 53 of Isaiah is known as the the chapter of the suffering servant. It's a prophetic chapter talking about what Jesus would do when he would come in the incarnation to be born and suffer and die for us. It says here, yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. Do you think that sometimes when you go through suffering and trial and difficulty, are you thinking maybe God is punishing you? Sometimes we think like that. A punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. See, Jesus didn't say, okay, you suffer, you you face the difficulty, you face the hardships, and I'm going to be here on my throne and in my cushy place here, and then afterwards, you know, let's all get together and, you know, we'll figure things out. No, Jesus said, I'm going to come in the incarnation. I'm going to come down to humanity. I'm going to come down to my creation, and I'm going to suffer just as they suffer. Because the Word of God says that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what we go through. This verse in Isaiah always blows me away. Whenever I think about this, it says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. We don't understand it. Why? 
Why does God allow hardships and sufferings and difficulties to come? Well, guess what? For the eternal Son of God, for Jesus incarnate who came and took upon him the form of a human being, it said it pleased the Lord. It was the Lord's good plan to, to do what? To crush him. It was God's good plan. Why? Because God sees the plan greater than we see. He sees the bigger picture greater than we see. And so it was God's good plan. The ending of the Christmas story is Easter. And it was God's good plan to crush Jesus, to cause him grief so that you and I can have eternal life. So that you and I can experience the love of God and the redemption of Jesus Christ. It was God's good plan to crush Jesus for you and for me. So we might not have all the answers about suffering. We might not have all the reasons for a particular sickness or a particular trial or a particular difficulty or financial situation or job situation that we might go through. We might not have all the answers to those specific things, but one thing we do know is that Emmanuel is with us. Because of the incarnation, it gives meaning to suffering. Timothy Keller said, Oh, sorry, in Romans chapter 5, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Here's a little bit of meaning. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Can you see the progression here? Can you see how as we go through trials and difficulties and hardships, it develops character within us? It develops strength within us. Probably most of the time uh, that we see our lives changing for good is not actually in the good times. It's actually in the most difficult times. It's when we go through hardships and difficulties that God is really forming us and changing us into his image and into his character. In Genesis chapter, 20 and ver- uh, chapter 50 and verse 20, this is the story of Joseph and how Joseph was mistreated and he was uh, abused and so many difficult things happened to Joseph. He had, we don't have time to go into the whole story of Joseph, but if you want to read from chapter about 39 onwards of Genesis, you'll read the story of Joseph and how so many unjust and unfair things happened to him. But at the end of that, the conclusion was this. You intended to... Harm me, speaking to his brothers who sold him into slavery. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended it to harm me, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph could say this after years and years of suffering and finally seeing the end of the story. And friends, sometimes we can't see the end of the story, but you know who sees the end of the story? Jesus sees the end of the story because he is transcendent. Because he is imminent, he wants to be close to us. Because he is transcendent, he knows what's going on better than we know what's going on. The incarnation holds these two truths in great tension but in great beauty to see the transcendence and imminence of God in the midst of our suffering. We might not have all the answers, but Jesus is imminent with us. He is there to be with us in our most difficult times. Timothy Keller says it this way, suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire.
Friends, I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know what difficulty you might be facing today. I don't know what trial or hardship that you might have today, but know that Emmanuel, God with us, is with you. He's there with you to help you. Timothy Keller went through um, cancer uh, when he was, I think he was around 50 or so. He had thyroid cancer. In his 70s, he had pancreatic cancer and then, and then passed away. But after he, he had uh, pancreatic cancer, God used that suffering, God used that difficulty in his life just to draw him close to Jesus. And this is what he said after having pancreatic cancer before he passed away. He said this, my wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life or spiritual life we had before the cancer. It really, it really thought, I really thought that I had a good prayer life. I think the whole world thought that Timothy Keller had a good prayer life. He wrote a whole book about prayer. And when, I and when I broke through into another dimension, I realized that, frankly, my prayer life wasn't that good. Friends, when we go through hardship, when we go through difficulty because of the incarnation, because God is with us, it helps us and gives us meaning in suffering. Number three, the incarnation reveals God's heart for his kingdom now. The very fact that Jesus came into this world, he was incarnate in this world, is that he wants to make a difference in the world right now. It's not about just looking towards heaven and looking towards, oh, we're going to have this wonderful place in heaven. And there is, and there's a wonderful hope for Jesus' return. But because of the incarnation, it reveals his plan for kingdom now. He wants us to be agents of his kingdom, making a difference in the world right now. That's why I'm so thankful for Master's Pantry and Hampers of Hope that allows us to be the hands and feet of Jesus and reveal his kingdom principles right now. Because when he taught us to pray, what did he say? He says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are here to live out God's kingdom right here and right now. And the incarnation teaches us that. Otherwise, Jesus would have never come into this world. He would have said, just come and join me in heaven. But the incarnation teaches us and reveals to us the heart of God that he wants his kingdom to come here right now as it is in heaven and for us to be agents and citizens of that kingdom and live out those kingdom values, live out those kingdom principles and make a difference in the world today so that others might see the beauty of Jesus and what it means to be part of that kingdom. See, in Matthew, when Jesus was telling a parable, um, sorry, let me, let me give you a couple of quotes from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright talks a lot about kingdom theology. He talks a lot about what it is actually to pray and ask for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And he says this, in first century Christianity, what mattered was not people going from, um, from earth into God's kingdom in heaven. What mattered and what Jesus taught his followers to pray was that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. See, the first century disciples, they were looking to make a difference here and now. And God wants us to make a difference here and now. When Jesus tells a parable of the end times and how he'll divide the good and the bad, he says this in Matthew chapter 25, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
It's amazing that God gives us such an amazing privilege to be able to bless those that are in need, to live out that kingdom value. See, the incarnation teaches us that God wants us to work and live and be part of his kingdom here as we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. If we look at the world around us right now, we'll probably think, oh, this doesn't look very much like heaven. So what does that tell us? We got some work to do, right? We have some work to do to reveal the kingdom of God to others. I remember a story of a pastor who went to India, and uh, when he was going to, when he was going to um, India, he, he took some money with him, and he wanted to be able to bless those that were poor, and he was with uh, a, a tour guide that was taking him someplace, and he saw a person on the road that was very poor, and he wanted to help him, and his tour, tour guide person said, don't help him. Do you know why? Because of karma. Ever use that phrase, oh, good karma, you know, do good to other people and you'll get some good back. That's what karma is about, right? But the theology of karma is actually very destructive because you have to understand the whole idea or picture of it. Because if you think, okay, good karma, I'll do good for some person and that good will come back to me. Well, what that tour guide said for, for this pastor who had traveled there, he said, don't help that person out because he's paying for the bad that he did in a previous life. So if you help him, then he's going to have it worse later on. So don't help him. My Christian theology teaches me when I say and I pray, God, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven because of the incarnation that I should help that person. What do you think? My Christian theology and what I understand from God's kingdom values is that when we see someone in need, we should help them. But in many other worldviews, if you understand the, com the complexity of that worldview and understand uh, how it's actually lived out, then it might not be the best thing to do. And that's why I think in the marketplace of ideas, the values and teachings and theology of Christianity and the practical implications of it is the best, and be the, the best meaning for life and practice. In John, 1 John, it says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Thanks, Nancy, for everything that you're doing with Master's Pantry and Hampers of Hope to help us as Unionville Alliance Church live out God's kingdom principles. Thank you to all those that serve in Master's Pantry and Hampers of Hope and give to help us to live out those kingdom principles. Number four, the incarnation affirms God's desire for relationship. The very fact that Jesus came down to earth, the very fact that he was incarnate here, is that he desires relationship with us. And this is something that we're going to explore in the new year. In the new year, we're going to go into the series in the book of uh, Genesis, Emmanuel in the Old Testament, and then Emmanuel in the tabernacle. And we're going to see this amazing and wonderful story arc from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. And we're going to see how amazing and wonderful it is that God desires to have relationship with us. Do you know that? That God desires to have relationship with you? That's an amazing thing. The incarnation teaches us that. The incarnation reveals God's heart and desire. It's not that he just wanted to be some God up in heaven, but he wanted to come down to us to say, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be in relationship with you. In John chapter 1, we read these verses. 
He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, what happens? He gave the right to become children of God. This is what Jesus desires for us. The incarnation reveals the heart of God that he wants us to be part of his family. The incarnation reveals that he wants us to be in relationship with him. I don't want to be a faraway God that's just transcendent, but I want to be imminent with you. I don't want to be a faraway God that just says this and do that, but I want to be imminent with you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be in relationship with you. We get to know the eternal living God. We get to experience the eternal living God. We get to walk with the eternal living God. Jesus invites us. When he was here on this earth, he said this. He invited people. He said, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Wherever you are today, whatever burdens you're carrying today, whatever suffering you're going through today, whatever hardship you're going through today, whatever problems you're going through today, the incarnation teaches us that Jesus wants us to come to him, that he invites us to him. Emmanuel, God with And the last thing that I'll say about the incarnation is this, is that it sets the stage for the greatest act of love in history. It starts here in Christmas. It ends in Easter. We're going to run this theme of Emmanuel all the way through to Easter. But the incarnation sets the stage for the greatest act of love in history. Probably the most famous Bible verse is John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that whoever, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This incarnation sets the stage for the greatest demonstration of transcendence and imminence that happened on the cross of Calvary. N.T. Wright says this, the crucifixion was the shocking answer to the prayer that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The crucifixion was a shocking answer to that prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, what he was teaching his disciples to pray was, Lord, help Jesus to fulfill this because the crucifixion is the fulfillment of his kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus displayed transcendence and imminence in an amazing way. When he hung there on the cross of Calvary and he saw a couple of his disciples in front of him and his mother that was right there, what did Jesus say? He turned to the disciple John and told John, take care of my mother. And told his mother, look, treat him as your son. The imminence of Jesus to care for his mother. The imminence of Jesus to want to to care for those that were around him. The personal relationship that Jesus had with John, the imminence of God was seen. The closeness was seen in Jesus on Calvary. And then the transcendence of Jesus was seen as he hung on the cross there. And there are two thieves on either side of him. And one acknowledged his sin, acknowledged his sinfulness. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, turned to him and said, Today... You will be with me in paradise. Who could say that? If I was on the cross, could I say that? 
No. But the transcendent Jesus, as the Son of God, the eternal creator, looked and saw this man and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I wonder what it was like in heaven for the angels because Jesus would, would died first and then after that, this, this man, on the thief on the cross died after him. I wonder what it would like. It would have probably been all crazy up in heaven. Probably the angels, even while Jesus was on the cross, they were just probably waiting and anxious and ready to go down there. They were probably just looking at the Father. Father, now can I go rescue Jesus? Father, now can I go rescue? Father, look what's happening to Jesus. Look, they're beating him. They're spitting on him. Look, they're nailing him to the cross. Now can I go? Now can I go? Now can I go? The Father, no. Let him suffer because it pleased the Lord to crush him. And the angels probably, they were pulling their wings out probably. Being like, can we go now? Can we go now? Can we go now? No, no, no. Let him finish what he started. And then that thief, when he came up into paradise, the angels probably didn't even have a protocol to understand. There's the first person coming after Jesus dies. What are we supposed to do? What are our books say? Are we allowed to let him in? Why are you here? And all the thief could probably say was, the guy with me said I can come. Emmanuel, God with us. Worship team, please come. He had a sliver of hope. That man on the cross had a sliver of hope because of a few words that Emmanuel said. Emmanuel said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And because of those words, I think when the thief on the cross came up to heaven, he probably just looked and said, the guy that was with me, Emmanuel, he said I could come. That's my only hope. And friends, that's our only hope as well. Please stand as we sing.